You're listening to Listen More with Paige Crystal Wilcox. This is a podcast where I listen to people from around the world offer up their opinions, insights, and reflections on character depictions of characters like themselves. Something that I do for this podcast as a sign of respect and to allow people to take back control of their own narrative is to allow each guest to introduce themselves in the way that they see fit. So without further ado, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, I'm Kit O'Malley. I live with bipolar disorder. I have owned that label, actually, and uh, it actually does affect my daily life, but it doesn't really affect how I, it affects me, how I interact with the world, but it doesn't affect how the world sees me because I don't, when I walk out the door, you cannot tell that I have bipolar disorder is in my brain. It doesn't manifest itself physically because I, you know, take my medicines and do therapy and not do all that kind of good stuff. So I, you know, I'm not symptomatic in any visible way. I have, I do have a, a website, kidomalley.com. And based upon the blogging that I did on that website, I wrote a memoir called Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life. There I used bipolar as an adjective, which within the community is a very controversial thing, but it's also awkward to say living with bipolar disorder all the time. So, and my tagline on my social media sites currently is bipolar writer and mental health advocate. And I've debated or am debating changing that. I do want to say that I live with bipolar disorder because that's a very big part of what I do, you know, in my social media interactions, but how I say that it's just, it's just, do I use, how do I use the label? Do I use it as an adjective, which is politically incorrect, but shorthand? Or do I write living with bipolar disorder, which is a mouthful? But I know that I say I'm an asthmatic, you know what I mean? I don't say I have asthma. I do say I have asthma also, but you know, I, there are other things, you know, that I, I don't have a problem with using as a label in terms of me- medical issues. You know, people say I'm a diabetic. They don't say I have, they do say I have diabetes too, but they often say I'm a diabetic and there's not, there's no stigma attached to that. So really I kind of own the label in a sense, because like the queer movement sort of owned the labels that were used to, did I not, I negrate them. I'm saying that wrong. I feel the same way about labels. There's no shame in having a brain disorder, you know, in having a mental illness, as far as I'm concerned. I know my father who had dementia at one point he was in memory care and he and I said do you know where you are and he said yeah I'm in a place for demented people and I remember later a social worker working in 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 one of those communities said yeah the issue is the stigma we attach to dementia you know that we have to say memory care or memory you know why should there be a stigma to having dementia there's not in control of the people with the dementia that they have it although my father's alcoholism was a big part of why dementia. So it was an alcohol-related dementia, which is different than my mother's dementia, which was a vascular-oriented dementia, which is completely different cause and different in how it looks. So anyway, that's my introduction. (laughs) And a little bit of why the struggle with language in terms of health issues broadly and mental health issues specifically. I definitely do appreciate the difficulty of that balancing act, I guess, between a simple label and something that is more an empowering statement. 
Right. I myself have a lot of different labels, labels and the way we, the way we embrace them or reject them. That's hugely personal. Right. And I've had a very different experience than you have in life. My diagnosis didn't come until I was 39. Uh, My diagnosis before that was uh, having depression and dysthymia, which is like a moderate level chronic depression. And I knew that my productivity and highs were higher than most people, but it didn't fit neatly into the categories that they had at that time. Bipolar 2 wasn't really used. And I had had an experience of psychosis and manic episode, but it was considered iatrogenic or caused by the the antidepressants that I was on. As long as I was able to be stable on a different and lower dose antidepressant, I was not diagnosed as bipolar. Can I ask for a moment just for the audience who might not know much about bipolar disorder? You mentioned bipolar 2. Is there a way you can let the audience know the difference between bipolar and bipolar 2? Yes. And forgive me for not explaining that. (laughs) I currently am diagnosed as uh, what's considered bipolar 1 disorder or would have in the past because I'm older, so it just would have been considered bipolar disorder. And that's a mood disorder that has both aspects of depression, which most people are familiar with what depression is. And I had aspects of suicidal ideation and just those thoughts that people with depression have that they are not worthwhile, uh, that the better world would be better off without them and suicidality. So that was sort of a chronic thing that I dealt with. And when I was 18, it was severe. It was a living hell. I would not wish that on anyone. Then on the flip side, someone with bipolar disorder has, and this this disorder was once called manic depression. And honestly, manic depression is more accurate to me in that it's descriptive and it really describes it. Whereas bipolar is more clinical sounding and it doesn't, to me, accurately describe the experience. When somebody has mania, their symptoms can include feelings of euphoria, of, uh, of religious euphoria, or just euphoria in general. That's beyond what most people have. And speeding thoughts, it can include psychotic thought process and destructive behavior, like uh, hypersexuality and overspending, doing things out of control. And many people with this disorder as well as with depression, but specifically very much bipolar disorder, self-medicate with substances. I, in my 20s, really liked marijuana. I wasn't like a stoner, but it did make me stupid and slow me down, which was a relief. People use alcohol in the same same way. If you have any chance that you have mental illness, you should be seeing some a, a, a for real prescriber before doing any kind of substance abuse to make sure that you are within a clinically healthy range. 100% agree with some of those underlying conditions. Sometimes they can be triggered by a substance and you can't come back from that. Correct. Yep. Yep. I remember my son when he was young and learning about these things because I was always open with my son. I'm just a, a person who is always open by nature. It's just my nature to be open and to, and I like to stand up against people's ideas of what somebody with 
mental illness or bipolar disorder specifically or before depression, you know, what, what that looked like, you know, because I was a high functioning person, high functioning, but had to really rethink my life on different occasions. So um, I told my son, he asked me because he was learning about substance abuse in school when he was young. And he said, do you think that the fact that you use marijuana triggered your depression? And I said, yes, very well could have triggered it. And it was self-medicating, you know, so in either case, it wasn't healthy because I wasn't getting the proper medical attention that I needed. I was trying to do it myself and possibly creating the problem where it might not have been. And the prescribed medications actually definitely triggered bipolar disorder. So that's a risk too. With regard to depictions of bipolar in works of fiction or even in non-fiction stories, do you feel that it is well represented? I would say both misrepresented and underrepresented. There have been And misrepresented only in that it doesn't show the breadth. It's a spectrum disorder. And there are people who are more functional or less functional. And I hate the term functional, but it gives you an idea that, you know, there's people who illness is more responsive to treatment. And there's people whose illness is not responsive to treatment. You know, like they've been through one medication after another medication, like they try so hard. And it's just, they're still very, very symptomatic. And that's unfortunate. But what's necessary is that those people who are high functioning are also represented. For example, I've been married for almost 25 years and we've been together, you know, 27, 28, a lot, a long time, since 1994. That's when we started dating. You know, people don't understand that someone with a serious mental illness can still have um, successful long-term relationships and can uh, be good parents. And it wasn't that being a good parent wasn't a struggle. It was. I think it actually always is. Not an easy thing to do. But you can be an excellent parent and live with mental illness, including a serious mental illness. We may have done things differently if I had known that this was my diagnosis before I became a mother. I knew I struggled with depression. I knew I had that one manic episode and that I could be cyclothymic, which is, you know, here we're talking about oh, bipolar 2. Oh, I didn't say what bipolar 2 is. So bipolar 2 is just less intense episodes. Okay, so the depression is not quite as severe. And the mania is what they call hypomania. It's just not as intense. It's just it's in the middle of the spectrum. And then cyclothymic is at the lower end of the spectrum where it might not be even diagnosed or whatever, but it's just somebody whose highs and lows are a little bit higher and lower than your average person, your average brain, but still higher and lower, you know? So it's, a, it's this whole spectrum. So I knew that I had the highers and lowers, but I didn't know to what extent. When we had our son you know, my, and my husband in his family, there's anxiety disorders And it turns out in both of our family, there were migraines, and we didn't really realize to what extent that would manifest itself in our son, who has struggled with severe gastrointestinal migraines since he was a toddler, and anxiety, and depression, and severe social anxiety, and phobias. And so he just, and that was a child that was very challenging for anybody to parent, an ADHD, but it also was challenging. Here I am with my mental illness and his, you know, and me losing temper. And, you know, so I, you know, I, I made my 
fair share of mistakes, but always owned them. And we always got help. We were always in therapy. And <laughs> so I was always in therapy. So I was always trying to be the best mother possible. And I remember my sister, because I would share these incidences where in the past I had made mistakes. And my sister said, you shouldn't write that. You could lose your son. And I said, there's no way I'm going to lose my son. I am like the most motivated person ever. I said, I used to be a, a reporter, a mandated reporter. I was a psychotherapist and I worked with children. So I know what is considered a mandatable thing. And my health providers, my mental health providers, no, I'm open with them. This is something I'm working on actively, you know, so that I slapped my child we went to his doctor right then, went through the whole thing. You know, I said, what's wrong for me to do that? You know, and then, and then my son, like was, he said, what he said, we dealt with it in therapy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I didn't do that all the time. There were just a couple of incidences in his lifetime. And I'm, par I'm sure that most parents have a couple of incidences in which they've lost their temper. I felt like it's more important to open, be open about that so that people can identify and get help than to pretend it never happened. Even as a child, my whole life, it's just my personality to be open and put myself out there in order to address the elephant in the room, metaphorically. The elephant is the room is that issue that nobody is talking about, but it is there, big issue there. So I have been the one who's been willing to risk the consequences of addressing that big issue that is there that nobody is addressing. Do you have any thoughts on stereotypical depictions? Yes. Like I had those incidences of behaving like that, but I'm not out of control and always yelling and screaming and, you know, throwing things and, you know, just being destructive. And so the stereotypical depiction of somebody who is manic is that they are incredibly destructive. And though you can be, those of us who are successfully treated, again, there are people who struggle with getting successful treatment because it's just not there for them yet. Their brain is not responding. But for those of us who are able to be successfully treated, that's not what our lives look like. Maybe I've thrown over a table once. <laughs> who hasn't? It was there. I flipped it. It's not that I haven't had my instances, but it's been over a lifetime. And that's not how my life is day to day. Day to day, I appear and behave like everybody else. At the same time, unlike your experience where day-to-day, -day, your past does not affect your present, how you live day-to-day. Day-to-day, my diagnosis affects my life because I am constantly on, like I have the title balancing act, titrating. I'm constantly trying to titrate everything so I don't trigger a mood swing. Before we began this, I talked about how I, yesterday, my session with my psychiatric nurse practitioner, I was discussing that I was going to have this podcast and that I was anxious, you know, like I worry about getting overstimulated doing these things because I have you and then WebMD asked to do in February um, a video interview with me. Uh, they're starting to do a video series that's going to be on WebMD for different, you know, health diagnoses. And I said, I'm, you know, I don't want to make sure I don't get overstimulated and start getting hypomanic. And she said, please don't confuse being excited and joyous with hypomania and mania. She said, often people with bipolar disorder constrict themselves in their experiences, equating joy with that feeling of elation that leads up to mania. 
I do very much in my daily life, and I would like depictions to be honest about how people in their daily life cope with their illness and their experience of an illness. And I think the best way to know that is to probably not only do research, but to talk to people who have that diagnosis, but to the outside world, you would never know because it's my internal struggle. It's not an external struggle. And really the only people who would notice might be my husband and my sister. You know, I might be on a phone call with my sister where I'm talking. And at the end of the conversation, she'll say, I just want to point out that we've been on the phone for a half an hour and you've talked that whole half hour nonstop. I'm like, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> so I definitely, I, I appreciate it when those people who can observe me and observe my behavior compared to, you know, my regular behavior, know mm, you should, uh, just a little check-in. <laughs> we did not have a conversation. It was not a conversation. I think it's good to show and depict symptoms, but also to show and depict functionality, like successful lives. And I think it's okay, like I have had to redefine success in my life several times. And I think that showing that struggle is important in, in fiction and nonfiction. You know, my whole life, I was going to be a doctor. And I, uh, since I was five, I was playing make-believe and I was a nurse. And my dad said, you don't want to be a nurse. Nurses do all the work, all the dirty work, and they get no credit and no pay. You want to be a doctor. Like, okay. So from then on, I was introduced as this is Kit. She's going to go to Harvard Medical School and become a doctor. So that was pretty high expectations. And so, and I didn't get into any of the Ivy League schools I applied to. I got into UCLA and UCLA sent me something saying I needed to do uh, remedial education because my SAT scores were so low. And I don't know if they have SATs. Anyway, the testing to prepare, you know, to get you into college. And so I was like, what? What? That's my math score is higher than the score you have reported. And it turned out that the uh, testing service it had uh, sent the wrong scores out. But my parents were thrilled because I was going to be close to home at UCLA and I wasn't going to be on the East Coast. You know, I always thought and was told that I could do and be anything I wanted. And I learned that that just wasn't true. I could not do and be anything I wanted. And I um, entered UCLA. I was a very high achiever, but I was severely, severely depressed. And my depression was so intense. I ended up and I got mono. So that helped me hide it because I didn't want to tell my parents I was suicidal because I felt felt that was a failure, even though I'm sure they, you know, they, they love me. I'm sure that they, that would not later, they actually completely rescued me. So I ended up having to change. And so there've been different pivot points in my life where I've had to change my path based upon my mental illness and redefine what success is. So I'm okay with that being depicted because it's real, but I'm not okay in just people just crashing and burning and not getting up and rising back up because people can have serious episodes of mental illness and still get up and rise and they might have to rethink or change their idea of what their path is or their journey is. That's part of their journey is that pivot point. And those are great plot points. And I know suicide is real, but when I've read a novel about strong, a strong character struggling with a mental illness, and it ends with that character killing themselves, but the particular novel I'm thinking of was still had very, it was still very respectful of the character. And actually, I, you know, communicate with the author afterwards. And she was like, yeah, I was, and she gave a little trigger warning that at the beginning that it had to do with depression. And I said, no, it was well done. It just was devastating being part of the mental health community. You do have people who you love who end up dying of suicide. So I shouldn't have said killed herself. I should have said tied of suicide. For the audience, 
if you're thinking of writing a story that involves a character with bipolar disorder, well done for listening to this episode to start with. Definitely look out for Kit's book. Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life. We will include the link to your website in the caption. Aside from reading your book, are there any other final words to give to writers or anyone creating a character? So it could also be actors who is living with a bipolar disorder. I think that research is most important and not just about the disorder, but doing some reading of first person memoirs. Some of those show more symptomatic you know, are written by people who have struggled more. I think it's important to know that people are of different places on the spectrum and to think about your character, well, that they're a full human, first of all, whether or not, you know, no matter what, they're a full human and they're a human independent of their illness. I think that's important to remember. It has been really wonderful to hear from you. In particular, I really liked what you said about redefining what success is there has been a very narrow depiction of what success has to be. All humans cannot define success the same way. We don't have the same values. We don't have the same abilities. How can success be the same thing for everyone? Success can be just getting up out of bed. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's you know, taking a bath or a shower it can be success. Thanks again. You've been listening to Listen More with Paige Crystal Wilcox. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, head to my website, pagecrystalwilcox.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.